enough to lift the third of our cleats. Watch it, jerk. Shut up, idiot, moron. Jab your butt zipper, hot liquor, fart smeller. <laughs> you eat dog crap for breakfast, geek. You mix your weed with your mama's phone jam. Yeah. yeah. You bop grapples in the toilet and like it. You play ball like a girl. Welcome to the Sunday Night Sandlot with Doug Anderson and my co-host Buck Davidson, who isn't on the air for the some reason. Tonight we're going to cover the latest news going around baseball, and we're going to look into the bullpen situations. Right now I'm going to see if Buck Davidson is here with us. Buck, are you on? All right, it's looking like Buck got kicked off or something, so we'll wait for Buck to... to uh, chime back in but right now let's talk a little bit about the latest news in baseball one of the things that we have to look at of course is max scherzer throws a one hitter flirts with a no hitter one outing and then throws a no hitter the very next outing maybe two of the most dominant starts put together in history um you know it's not surprising coming from max scherzer i think the surprising thing was that if you looked at history uh Pitchers who'd thrown two dominant starts like that in the past had generally in their third start kind of fallen apart and throw up a poor outing. Not so for Max Scherzer. I think we've got Buck back on the line here. We'll see what we got going on. Buck, are you with us now? I don't know. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Uh, oh, wonderful. I, I don't know what happened. I, I had kind of started the intro, and then all of a sudden I heard you start the intro, and I said, oh, my goodness me, what the heck just happened? So I guess I, I got kicked off there for some reason, but uh, I don't know. But uh, how are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good. It, it was. I was shocked. I'm not prepared to do these intro things. It takes a professional to do that, and I, it, it's beyond me. I was... I was a little. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Wayne and Garth or whatever that was, but I was kind of like Garth when he got on the air by himself, and it, it, it was terrible. It was frightening. Oh well, that's okay. Well, how much of the the intro did I heard you talking Max Scherzer a little bit? Yeah, I, I hear he's pretty good. Well, I just jumped right into some of the news, and I thought Max Scherzer had to be what we talked about first. And what I had mentioned was that pitchers who've thrown two dominant starts like that. Not that there's a whole handful of pitchers who's ever put up two starts together like that, but typically in that third start, they usually, you know, whether it's from a lot of high leverage innings trying to protect no hitters, they usually kind of throw up a dud in that third start, but not so for Max Scherzer. He, he, it was business as usual. Yeah. He's just taking it to another level this year. I, you know, I've seen some uh, some. I remember when Oral Hershiser was was just rolling out some an incredible string of scoreless innings, and that's the only thing I can really equate with what Scherzer is doing. My goodness, every time he rolls out there, it's like he's flirting with a no hitter. And you know, pitchers just getting grooves like this, I think. And and as long as Scherzer is in that groove, man, just enjoy the ride and, and know that you're watching history. But uh, yeah, what a what a great run it has been. I, I tuned in when he was. Um, uh, pitching against Philly, and all of a sudden he's got 15 in a row. It's like you got to be kidding me! Really, is he really going to do this again? It's almost like you expect it every time he goes out there. 
Yeah, you know, his last start, he threw up a dud. He gave up two earned runs and only pitched eight innings. Oh, and, terrible. You know, so it was a dud. But there's only one pitcher right now that's pretty much equal to Scherzer, and that's a has to be Marco Estrada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the greatness that is Marco Estrada, you know. But, Seriously, he yeah, went into the eighth yeah. inning, two starts in a row without, you know, with a no-hitter. So, it, he, you know, I'm wondering – at one point, I liked Estrada, and there were a lot of good things to like about him. He threw strikes. He changed speeds well. The strikeout rate was good. Then he started giving up home runs like crazy. I'm wondering if we can put a little bit of uh, trust in Marco Estrada or if this is just some, you know, a blast from the past and that we won't see this again. Yeah, maybe something has, has happened. Maybe he's changed a little something. Maybe he's he's done a little something with his mechanics. Who knows? But I've always been a fan of, especially when it comes to pitchers, as long as the horse is running fast, keep riding. And uh, sometimes it's better to not ask why and just just enjoy it and know that, hey, this guy's on a great run and let's just enjoy it while it's uh, while it's rolling. So uh, did, did, did you talk uh, injuries? Uh, Mr. Giancarlo Stanton, for one, uh, broken <laughs> hand out four to six weeks. When are we going to see a full season and just see what kind of numbers this guy could put up? Well, you know, it's one of the reasons I don't have Stanton on, on too many – I don't think I have him on a team this year. Uh, it's I love to watch the guy hit. There's no one in baseball who hits the ball as hard as he does. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone in baseball hit the ball as hard as he does. But every year there's something. And, you know, if you look at the guy, he's chiseled from stone. I'm thinking, you know, he needs a little bit of body fat to kind of help oil things up and keep him loose because you're right. Every year there's something that bugs him. Some reason he doesn't quite get a full season in. Last year was the closest, and we can't really blame, you know, the beaning on him being, you know, injury prone. But I still right. I don't have him because he is he does seem to be a little bit injury prone. Yeah, I did a little bit of math with the numbers, and, and first of all, he's uh, it's a fractured handmate, I guess, is what he's getting operated on. And from what I remember about hamate bones, yeah. they will tend to sap your power when you do come back. So it may be, they were talking August, it may be next year before we see Giancarlo Stanton doing Giancarlo Stanton kind of things again. I, it would not surprise me at all to see him not displaying the kind of power that he did before the injury. But I did a little math, and over 155 games, based on his partial season numbers, and, and we seem like we do a lot of this with Stanton, 56 <laughs> homers, 140 runs batted in over 155 games. And it seems like extrapolation with Stanton always, because like we said, it always seemed to have something happen to him to have him lose some games. And on the subject of that, Mr. Anthony Rendon, Back on the DL again, strain left quad this time. What do we make of this guy? We saw one full season, and it was a, an absolutely elite performance. Where do, right now, today, where do you draft him next year? He's such a tough player to figure, but I think what you have to realize is that in his minor league history, in his college history, he had been kind of injury prone. So this isn't something new. So I think last year was kind of the, the new deal where he stayed, stayed healthy all year. So to me, it's dangerous because he's got good upside, but does he stay healthy? Can he repeat what he did last year? First of all, I don't think he's a player that is going to run as much going forward. You know, there are certain players who they have a few years where they'll still 20, steal 20 bases or so, but I don't think Rendon, he's not a speedster. So I think you're going to see the stolen bases go down, you know, 
pretty quickly after the first few years of his career. So I see that happening. And then you have to worry about the injuries. And I, you know, I don't think you can go before the third round at at the earliest. Yeah, really. And this year, people were talking about him in the in the late first, early second. So to me, the third round is the earliest. Yeah, and you remember a few years back, uh, um, uh, Ian Kinsler. Always, right. it was kind of the same thing. Always something seemed to be happening, and the same deal. You know why? Why is Rendon always getting hurt? Why was Kinsler always getting hurt? Now, Kinsler, it, it is, it's not happening to quite as uh, you know quite as much nowadays. But Rendon, when you're going to draft him next year, you've got to take that into account. That hey, he is probably going to miss some time just based on history. But uh, we've seen, though, when he is healthy, he is as good as there is in the game. But when is just not nearly often enough. Some more injury news. The top prospect in baseball, Byron Buxton, uh, he was called kind of surprisingly to me. I've been following what Buxton had been doing. June the 4th, he was batting 256 at double A now. He was hitting 256 at double A. Some good power numbers. I think he had like 12 or 13 triples. So, okay, and stealing a lot of bases. But 256, a lot of strikeouts. Uh, he went on a nice little hot streak, was up to 283 by the time they called him up. Uh, had a, a bunch of struggles in the majors, a lot of strikeouts again. He was hitting, what was he hitting, like 120, 130 something, I think. Now he's uh, sprained thumb on the disabled list. Um, what, what do you think of Buxton? Has a is uh, is he still the top prospect in baseball? Do you think, or has this little episode maybe lessened his stature a little bit? Well, I think it's you know there there's a coaching point of view, then there's a sabermetric point of view where you're looking at stats. Uh, the the old uh, scouting view, you know, uh, the scouting view is all about tools, and he's still got those. But I'm looking, and during his time in Double A, which all that much. But right. in 2000, you know, last season he didn't put up outstanding numbers. He, you know, he stole some bases, but he he hit 283 in Double A last year and 268 at bats. Uh, I'm sorry, that's earlier this year in Double A. Last year mm-hmm. in Single A, he hit 240. Uh, you know, so he hasn't done it really since A ball in 2013. So to me, it just it's hard to expect him to do a whole lot. It's, it's This is not a Chris Bryant who was destroying the minor leagues. Buxton is all based on projection, and that's that's dangerous. I, I'd rather see a player show me numbers in the minor leagues before I jump on him. The talent's there. Um, you know, Buxton, much similar to Rendon, has had a history of injuries the last few years. So, you know, people talk about fluke injuries. Whatever. Some players, some people in life, get injured more easily than others, whether it's, you know, bone thickness, whatever it may be, muscles prone to being pulled. Some of these players are a little more injury prone. And Buxton hasn't shown me all that much, even at the minor league level. So to me, I I wasn't expecting too much. I I kind of agreed with you. The speed, I think, could could come along, but I don't see the power. I don't see the average coming that quickly. And and who does he project to be? Is he going to be the next great superstar? You know, we've seen players with all kinds of tools that the strikeout rate, uh, you remember Chris Young early in his career, uh, you know, huge strikeout numbers, but just lots of tools, lots of power, lots of speed, but so many swings and misses 
that the the batting average was just always going to be problematic. So we don't know. I, I don't know with Byron Buxton just yet. Yeah, the tools are there. Uh, the potential is there. But I'm kind of with you. I really would have loved to have seen him just destroying double A pitching, and you know, batting three thirty five or whatever with the power. Okay, great. Now we've got a prospect that we can elevate a little bit sooner and and have him do some triple A time. I didn't agree with that either. He completely skipped over triple A. I didn't feel he had done anything at double A to warrant skipping triple A. That if if he had been like I said hitting 335 and 15 home runs and 20 stolen but okay great let's hop him over AAA to the majors, he wasn't doing that and I, I really do think that the Twins may have rushed him a little bit, and who knows they they may put him back in the minors when he comes back from the DL and and get him back up to speed again. I still think the upside is there. I still think he is an elite prospect, but I do need him to deliver on those tools at some point in time before I'm going to look at him as being potentially an elite. Uh, Some good injury news out there, though, Doug, uh, and some of it involves uh, the home team here. Matt Moore made his final rehab start, or what they think is going to be his final rehab start yesterday. Uh, five innings, allowed three runs, two earned, five hits, walked three. That's a little bit of an issue and struck out 80 through 94 pitches. The story behind the story is apparently he pitched in uh, what was described as a, a mist, I guess, which, you know, we know what that can be in Florida and, you know, the humidity and everything like that. So I kind of discount the the three walks a little bit. But uh, I would have liked to have seen something a little bit stronger from him. But it does look like he's going to be coming back on Thursday and not a moment too soon. huh? From what I understand also, uh, in the first inning yesterday, when he had the last rehab start, there was a, a pop-up that fell, and it was you know scored as a hit. But that led to some of the runs in the first inning. So he wouldn't have allowed so many runs. Um, I like to see the strikeouts. That tells me the movement's there, the velocity. You know, walks have always been a, 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 a part of his game that he's kind of struggled with from here and there. And one of the things that we saw with Matt Moore, the reason I'd be a little bit cautious early in his return, every year when he starts the year, you know, he goes through a rough stretch until he finds a groove, whether it's mechanics, whatever it is. If you look at his stats for almost every year, he starts slowly. So, you know, I'd be a little concerned about, his first few starts. If you're talking about using him in a in a mixed league, I think I'd wait. You know, if you're in an AL only league, you pro- I, I've got him in the AL only league, and I'm I'm trying to sell him because of his name and you know that prospect uh, that you know hype that's kind of still attached to Matt Moore because he's been a very good pitcher. So I'm trying to sell mm-hmm. high on him before he comes out and struggles because I'm expecting a few bumps in the road earlier on. Yeah, me too. And I, I would encourage you if you're in a, a regular size mixed league. Be a little cautious. I, I would make Matt Moore show me that he was ready to go back to being vintage Matt Moore again. 94 pitches in five innings concerns me a little bit, and I think we could see something like that because the the major leaguers are going to make him throw strikes. There's no question about it. So I, I would be a little cautious. In a mono league, I would say go ahead and run him out there because he's probably going to be better than the alternative. But uh, you may want to kind of stay your hand for a week or, or for a couple starts in the uh, mixed league. Jose Fernandez should be absolutely owned in every league, and if he is somehow available in your league, go and correct that as soon as possible. 
he is uh, looking to come back also on Thursday, if I recall. He, uh, he he's kind of gotten bumped around in his in his rehab. He had one one good start, but I think he had a couple of really bumpy starts. And his last one at Double A was one he four runs, six hits over five innings. What the, what do you think? You're going to roll this guy back out right away, Doug? Coming off of Tommy John surgery. Unlike Matt Moore, I think with Jose Fernandez, you almost have to. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if there's some outings where he doesn't quite have his good stuff. You know, sometimes pitchers struggle with command. But what we've seen even in his rehab is that the strikeouts are there. So, you know, Matt Harvey earlier this year seemed to go through a dead arm period where, you know, it, it was just getting back into the flow of pitching. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see that with Jose Fernandez. But... You know the upside he has. I can't see sitting him. You know, I, if he gives you five innings, you're liable to get eight, nine strikeouts. So for me, Jose Fernandez is a special talent, and I think you you just put him in your lineup and you take what you get. Yeah, I, I would say so. And uh, on on the topic here of uh, major league debuts, a little bit of well, kind of semi breaking news. Uh, Stephen Matz. Boy, what, what kind of a major league debut was that today, Doug? Did you see that line? Not not just the pitching line, but the batting line? <laughs> well, actually, I, I heard about the batting line first. So I I, I saw the, the, the RBIs and everything, and uh, I actually hadn't looked at the pitching line yet. <laughs> Boy, a star is born. Seven and two-thirds innings, two runs, uh, uh, allowed two runs, got the win, and went three for three with four RBIs. It, it and you know, playing for the Mets, of course, the hype train is is already running before you even took the mound. But now, uh, good gravy, it, it, <laughs> there's going to be uh, some major hype going on in the Big Apple over uh, young Mister Mats. And uh, <laughs> if, if if you're if you're in a, a mixed league at all, he, he's definitely he's an elite prospect, and he's definitely worth grabbing if you still have the opportunity to do so. Isn't he? Well, he, oh, definitely. I think so. You know, he's shown in his minor leagues career that, you know, there's upside there. He, he's he got, you know, number two, possibly number one fantasy starter upside eventually. I uh, One thing's very clear is that he does not pitch for Kevin Cash in the Rays because I saw people on yeah. Facebook today and they were like 110 pitches in his major league debut debut and uh, they were getting a little worried that he was allowed to throw so many pitches whereas Kevin Cash you got uh, a pitcher going six innings and at 70 pitches with a, a one hitter and Kevin Cash takes him out so uh, it's mm-hmm. a little different philosophies around the major leagues. Yeah it, it really is and you know who knows we've kind of gotten into this groove with a hundred pitches and that's kind of the magic number anymore. And who knows with, with as closely as we're monitoring that, we're still seeing more and more pitchers undergoing Tommy John surgery. So, you know, years down the road may look back at this and figure out that, Hey, that wasn't a good number or maybe it should have been less. You know, maybe it was not enough. Who knows? I think everybody's different and you have to handle, you have to handle things as they come along, but I don't think that it's, at all that it's a perfect uh, that it's a perfect science uh, with with a hundred pitches. Have you have you ever given that any thought? Is is that something that that you think is is really a valid number, or is it something that's kind of a work in progress? Well, I think one thing's almost a fact is that it's got to be different for every pitcher. There's no a hundred in a uh, hundred pitches is not too many for every pitcher, you know, some pitchers can throw more, some pitchers, maybe that's too much, 
But I think we, you know, it's a nice round number, and that's what we get. You know, in Japan, pitchers throw and throw and throw. The old right. Atlanta Braves, they used to throw. You know, on, on their off days, they would throw a ton. You know, and then there's other people who, you know, the Mets going to a six day, uh, a six starter rotation. So I don't think there's any cure. I think the answer to the Tommy John problems probably lie in how much pitchers are pitching when they're younger to a point. You know, it used to be it was baseball season, then you played basketball, uh, you know, or you played basketball, football, then baseball. Nowadays, you've got follies, you've got traveling teams, and so these pitchers are throwing, you know, maybe – Maybe they limit their pitches in a start, but they're throwing almost year-round. And I, I think maybe that's got something to do with all the Tommy John surgeries but I, you know, and different mechanics. There's just so many variables. I don't know if we'll ever find the answer. Buck, are you there? I think we lost Buck again. Buck's running off on us today. He's Grief. You, you, you there? <laughs> did, I, did I get back? Yeah, you're here. <laughs> okay, good. I don't know what the heck is going on tonight. I'm just going to... All right. Uh, uh, you're still, folks, listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot <laughs> on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, hopefully here with you uh, for the duration, <laughs> along with so-called Fantasy Experts co-founder Doug Anderson. The topic tonight is going to be bullpens, closer hierarchies. Now, very, very few, if any, situations are as dynamic as bullpens and closer situations in the world of fantasy baseball. And if you can stay in touch with the latest news, you have gone a long way towards succeeding in so far as uh, winning your saves category in your fantasy league. Something else to keep in mind, and the July 31st trade deadline coming up right around the corner, we have several teams that are probably going to be sellers at the trade deadline. And some of the players that are going to be on the, uh, the the trade talk is going to be some closers. We're going to be taking a look at some of those situations and kind of going around the league and looking at various bullpen situations and kind of telling you about the stability and, and whether or not this closer has a chance to be moved at the deadline. And then talking about the understudies because there's nothing better than seeing a closer get moved and going, oh, no, and all your league – Mates, Doug, if, if, all your league mates go run into the waiver wire, and whoops, you pick the uh, you pick the guy up uh, two weeks ago. That's uh, that's now the new closer in I don't know Milwaukee or wherever. Isn't that a great feeling? Well, you know, one one of the things I'm the master at is, uh, you know, in Toronto, I'll, I'll use an example. Recently in Toronto, I, I'd seen Roberto Asuna, who'd been pitching very well, and uh, I'd had him in some mixed leagues. Because he's he's got control, he gets strikeouts. I like to use middle relievers here and there. Well, a couple weeks ago, I had a need for a starting pitcher, so I free agent bid on a starting pitcher. I had to drop Asuna. What happens? Now he might be the closer in Toronto. So, uh, you know, it's I, I'm the master at avoiding them at times. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, it, we've got a couple of different things there, so-called fantasy experts. There's a couple of different ways – to keep up with the closer situations. And both of them are things that, that I kind of have a hand in on typically on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, we have a thing called bullpen briefs where we go back through the, the previous week and we look at, was there a closer change? Uh, we have a little section in there called reliever on the rise, reliever on the rocks. If somebody is really going well or poorly, 
We'll put them in there, and we'll put a little something in there called keep an eye on. And it's maybe a situation that's in a little bit of flux, or you just had a, a, a setup guy come off the DL who's going to be moving back into the um, maybe into a high leverage role, or if you have just some type of a situation, like the Cubs, for instance, just traded for or signed Rafael Soriano. Okay, what's going on with him? That would be covered in the keep an eye on section. The other thing that we have for you is a uh, closer depth chart or a bullpen depth chart. This is something that I update just about every day. If anything changes, if Luke Gregerson got shelled last night, oh boy, is it time to pick up Pat Neshek, then we're going to reflect it in there. If if Gregerson was just lights out and went out and got a five-out save and struck out four guys, we put that in there too. So you can get a general feel without going through all the box scores you can get a general feel for how the bullpens are faring right now. And it's, it's a really, it's kind of a thumbnail look at bullpens in general. And you can get some ideas. Is this somebody I should be trying to pick up? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, Doug. And uh, let me, let me ask you though, you, you said that uh, you have a unique way of approaching, uh, approaching closers. When do you pull the trigger on a setup, man? Do you does it depend on who the closer is? That's I mean, if it's you know Craig Kimball that goes out and has a bad night, that's one thing. If it's John Axford, maybe that's something else. What what do you do? Is there a magic time that you pull the trigger on the um, uh, on the setup guy? Well, the first thing is that the, the setup guy's got to be on my radar. He's got to have strikeout potential. I, don't, I you know the whip has to be low. I don't like, you know, the, an example is Danny Farquhar, who was at some time people thought he was the future closer in Seattle, but his numbers, I never really liked them. And, you know, as it turns out, he wasn't the answer and the Mariners have come up with a different option. So for me, first, it's about the skills. I want to see the strikeouts. I want to see a low whip. I don't want him giving up hits. So that's first. And if those pitchers are like that, I generally have them either, you know, I, I like to have a couple middle relievers. I, I Neil Ramirez, who's been on the DL this year, but mm-hmm. I had him in many leagues because I saw a chance that Hector Rondon might not keep the closer role. And at the time, Ramirez was the best bet. And if he's healthy, maybe he gets back in that picture. I don't know. But so to me, I've already got those pitchers in my mind before I'm not just going to go, you know, panning for gold with a bunch of, you know, the next in line. I want the next in line who's actually a good pitcher. Yeah, and by the way, Ramirez, I think, was just activated today. I believe he just came off the DL today. So he, he's just going to be another one in that. It, it, the, the bullpen situation in Chicago is, is, I mean, it's bad enough as it is. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be throwing Neil Ramirez into that mix too. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, just kind of another uh, – Another pony on the carousel, so to speak. But let's uh, let's do this this way. Let's just kind of go right around. We'll start in the American League East and just go straight through and a little commentary on each bullpen situation as we go. Not a lot to say about some of them. They're pretty cut and dried. And the first one we're going to talk about is Baltimore. Uh, Zach Britton has just been great again this year. What he has done this year, though, Doug, is the strikeout rate is way up. He, the big knock on Britton coming into this year was – he didn't strike out many guys. Has not been the case this year, though, huh? No, and and maybe Zach Britton is probably one of the reasons where, at least my my perception is that this year the bullpens aren't as chaotic as they have in the past. Maybe it's just because I've got Britton in a lot of leagues. 
I had faith in him last year. He, he and at one time Zach Britton was a pretty highly thought of starting pitching prospect. He had the stuff, right. couldn't stay healthy. Goes to the bullpen, he gets the throw, you know, give a hundred percent, and it seems to suit him. And he's a ground ball machine with added strikeouts right now. You know, I want that safety, and Zach Britton is is right now as safe as it gets. Yep. Now over in Boston, uh, well, you got the the ageless Koji Uehara, and had another save again today. But you know, if you've got Koji you're always worried because he does have an injury history and he's he's getting up there in years. So Yanichi Tazawa, uh, Alexei Agondo is probably in line there too. Tazawa would probably be the guy though, don't you think, if, if anything was to happen to Koji? He's got the best stuff, I think, and he, he he's he's real hard on right-handers. And, but you're right, with Uehara, you know, there was a point when he was with the Orioles where they wouldn't throw him on back-to-back days, they were because you know his they were worried about his arm. So uh, he had a historic season for the Red Sox, and he's been a, had a good few years. But yeah, you're always you know you're always never quite comfortable with him. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you you want to have some type of an insurance policy sitting on your roster if you own Koji. Now over in New York, of course, everybody drafted Dellen Batantis and Andrew Miller. They, they're probably on the rosters of you know, ninety-nine point percent of the fantasy teams. Miller on the DL, Batantis has been good as the closer. So of course, Doug, the sixty-four thousand dollar question is: yeah. When Miller comes back from the DL, what happens? And he and I would think it would just be speculation at this point. But what do you think? It is speculation because, you know, early in the year, because Miller was the left-hander, a lot of teams, and and Miller's had a good history of kind of being a left-handed specialist who can also get right-handed hitters out, but a lot of teams kind of veer away from the left-hander, so I I thought the Yankees would want Batansis to be the closer. Instead, I guess they went with the, we want the veteran to be the closer, and they chose Andrew Miller. So, you know, I I don't know what to expect. I tend to think if Miller healthy when he comes back, that he'll get the job. But, you know, uh, he's out with a, a strained muscle in his forearm of his throwing arm. That's, you know, I don't know if they will go right back to him. It might be a day-to-day basis where they go with matchups because Miller might not be able to throw back-to-back days. You know, a, for, a muscle in your forearm, and that's, sometimes that's signs of something bigger going on. So I'd be a little leery about his health. Sure. And I actually wrote uh, uh, Batonsis up as a potential bust at the beginning of the year because, remember, he was being drafted, what's well, like sixth or seventh among closers, or he, he was he was being drafted like it was a done deal. And I remember at the time saying, well, wait a minute. He he had, I think he had one career save and Miller had one career save. So <laughs> neither of them really had the inside track, but people were drafting Batonsis like this was a done deal, that there was no question. But just shows you bullpen situations can be kind of unstable and you, you really have to stay on top of them pretty much on a daily basis to to really get ahead. Now, next up, Tampa Bay. And, Doug, we're, this one's near and dear to our hearts. This was a bit of a kind of a committee situation until probably the last two weeks. Boxberger, Brad Boxberger has gotten a call I believe it's five consecutive save chances with McGee pretty much pitching the eighth and Jepson pitching the seventh. I think, and I just changed the status today from committee to a two, which is 
uh, a, a set closer, but a few questions. And with Boxberger as the closer, do you feel safe in saying that he's Tampa Bay's closer right now? <laughs> I think so. This situation, you know, you you talked about it. It, it seemed like for a couple weeks there, we made a shift where I thought McGee was starting to get back the bulk of the job. That may have been, I know Boxberger was dealing with, I think it was another forearm issue. So maybe that yeah. was the issue with Boxberger. Boxberger struggled a little bit lately. Um, I mean, the overall numbers still look great, but he's given up a few long balls. He hasn't been as dominating as he was last year. So I think he's the closer, though. You know, the, you you got to start giving the number of saves some credit. And I think they're kind of trying to protect McGee a little bit um, because he's coming off the elbow surgery. So I think Boxberger's the closer until something changes. Well, I will lend you this advice, anybody out there listening. If you have Jake McGee on your roster, do not drop him. <laughs> because as know. Doug said, Boxberger has been a little shaky lately, and I have not seen any of that shakiness in Jake McGee. I have seen the same dominant reliever that I saw last year. So just because, you know, you may, oh, Boxberger's a quote, don't drop McGee because he's been really good and it would not surprise me to see him closing again this year. So take that uh, under advisement. Over in Toronto now, a little bit of a different situation. Of course, Brett Cecil was the guy and then he wasn't the guy. Then we had Miguel Castro, who is now in the minors, and it was back to Cecil again. Then Cecil was not good. Uh, 23rd of June, he was taken out of the closers role. And you got a couple of guys there. Roberto Asuna, Doug, who you mentioned a little bit earlier. Steve Delabar, uh, another uh, veteran, has a little bit of closing experience, but neither of them is really a guy that you can hand the ball to and say, you know, you, you know what you're getting when it comes to the ninth inning. Toronto is a team I'm really looking at as being a, uh, being a buyer at the trade deadline. And they, I really do believe, are going to go out, unless Osuna just, because as you said, Osuna has great stuff and does not have uh, any any issues with command at this point. Unless he just grabs a closer's role and runs with it, I could really see Toronto being a buyer at the uh, at the trade deadline. What do you think? Yeah, I think Asuna can handle the job, but their bullpen, you know, Delabar to me, he, you know, he's got really good stuff, but his control and command is some days it's here, some days it's not. So the, uh, Toronto is going to be getting some kind of bullpen help. So it just matters, I think, what's available on the market. And But I think you're right, Osuna, you know, if they, Tampa Bay, or Toronto, I'm sorry, is able to get a closer, you know, type pitcher in trade, then I think Osuna goes to more of a setup role. But I, he's got the talent to keep it. It's just a matter of the Blue Jays, who they're going to acquire, because they're going to be in the race with that offense, and they're going to do something with that bullpen. Folks, you're listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, along with so-called Fantasy Experts co-founder, Doug Anderson. Tonight, we are talking about bullpens, going through some various situations and identifying some potential buyers and some sellers at the trade deadline and also looking at some closer situations that are a little bit shaky right now and maybe you might want to think about investing in the setup, man. Uh, not really so much on the south side of Chicago, Doug. David Robertson had a little bit of bumpy road lately, but he's been, by and large, pretty good. The two guys behind him, Zach Duke and Jake Petricka, uh, not you know, not the not the experienced uh, threats to close 
So I think Robertson, I think the the Shy Sox are just going to kind of ride this out, you think? Yeah, I think Robertson's one of those pitchers who, if you stick him in there with a three-run lead, then he might give up a couple runs. But if you stick him in there with a one-run lead, you're going to get the save. So Robertson is unchallenged. There's nothing to see here. He's the pitcher you want, and a low whip, high strikeouts, not much more you can ask for in a closer. Yeah, now a guy that we were worried about early in the season was Cody Allen in Cleveland. I know I was, I'm pretty heavily invested in Cody Allen this year because Uh, I liked what I saw last year. And he was kind of scaring us there earlier in the year, but boy, he, he has flat turned things around. He has been one of the best relievers in baseball over probably the past month. And yeah, he's, he's back definitely the closer in Cleveland. And I, I, I don't see him getting, I don't see him getting moved. I don't think Cleveland will be, um, will be sellers at the trade deadline. And they're certainly not going to be buyers because Allen has been as good as it's gotten in uh in baseball over the last, let's say, or the last month or so. Uh, Detroit, Joaquin Soria uh, was really, really good early on. Uh, again, a little bit of a, of a, 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 some bumps in the road lately, but he's been pretty good. The guy who is really intriguing to me and just came off the disabled list, uh, Doug, do you know the name Bruce Rondon? <laughs> he might throw a little bit hard. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is a guy that throws he, he almost as hard as a Rollis Chapman, and he, he regularly hits 100 miles an hour. And the, the stuff is there to close. Now, will he get the opportunity to close? There's the question. But kind of put that name down and remember Bruce Rondon and just kind of watch him and see what goes on. If he's involved in a trade somewhere at the deadline, he absolutely has the stuff to close. And he was talked about as the closer of the future in Detroit, not too long ago, but you know, Soria is there right now and is doing a good job. I don't see Rondon as being a threat to Soria at all. So he should keep rolling. But if Rondon is involved in a trade somewhere, just know that an awful lot of people think that he has the stuff to close games. Kansas city boy. <laughs> okay. Let's see. They got, Probably four guys there that could close games. <laughs> uh, Greg, Greg Holland is fine. Wade Davis, wow, starter in Tampa Bay, and was involved in the um, the Shields Will Myers deal as kind of a as was Jake Odorizzi was kind of a you know the, the second level of uh, of the trade, and he has turned into one of the best setup men in baseball, and and then of course Calvin Herrera and Ryan Madsen, uh, the former uh, Phillies closer. Is uh, getting is coming to a setup role as well there, and of course they're setting up Greg Holland, who's simply one of the best closers in baseball. So about as good as it gets in the Kansas City bullpen and, and Tampa Bay. They're 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 following a similar model as Tampa Bay, telling their starting pitchers, okay, just get us six innings and we'll get it to our bullpen, and you know, <laughs> good good day, good morning, and good night. So quite a, an, an interesting uh, an interesting way to to handle your games. Now, Minnesota, Doug, this guy has got to be one of the most underrated, unsung <laughs> closers, Glenn Perkins. Does anybody think when you, you think elite shutdown closers, does the name Glenn Perkins come to mind? <laughs> no, it doesn't. But, you know, if you look at the past few years, he's been right there. There's there's nothing not to like about what he does. You know, he walks under, you know, he, he's a, 
base and balls per nine, 1.15. The strikeouts are a little down this year, only you know a little over eight per nine innings. But in the past, the strikeouts have been there. There's just nothing not to like. I think last year he was a little bit unlucky. Um, you know, left on base percentage. I think that was the main reason his ERA was up a little bit. But you know, I, I have Perkins in quite a few leagues along with Zach Britton, and it's it's nice to have a team when you don't have to worry about saves. And uh, there are, you know, in the past few years, that hasn't been the case a lot of the time. And you got those guys cheap too. You, you hear the old uh, fantasy baseball advice: don't pay for saves, don't pay for saves, don't pay for saves. Well, that's a classic example. Those two guys you just mentioned, you probably got them cheap, and they're doing better. You're, you're better off with them than you are with, you know, somebody like say Greg Holland and Cody Allen, who were the, you know, two of the elite relievers from last year. So there is a, a little bit of advice. Go ahead. There are so many different, you know, strategies with, with closers, you know, that don't pay for it and grab a bunch of, you know, uh, second in line guys. Uh, a lot of people, okay, I'll pay for the top closers, the Craig Kimbrells and Chapman's, but I'm not going to pay for that big middle tier. And to me, I, I looked for, the at least this year, I looked for that middle tier of guys that I was confident in. And so far, it's worked out well. Yeah, there, some years, it doesn't. You know, there, The last two years, I think the bullpens have been as, as crazy as any time in baseball that I can remember. So, But to me, it just, you know, don't I, you have to get saves. It's one of the categories. And, you know, get a middle-tier guy that you don't have to pay a whole ton for and that you like. Right, and, and the small market teams, too. If you stay yeah. away from the big limelights, you know, Glenn Perkins is like, okay, it's Minnesota. Everybody's thinking, well, you know, Minnesota's probably not going to be that good this year, blah, blah. They're not going to win a lot of games. Well, I remember back in the day for the, the, the Devil Rays, as Dennis, Dennis Baez saved like 40 games, and the team didn't win more than about, you know, 70 games that year. But it, it doesn't always apply that it's just the best teams that have a lot of saves. It's the teams that play close games. So, you know, you can't always hang your hat on that. And with Minnesota being uh, a below-the-radar, you know, small market team, you can get really good deals on guys like Glenn Perkins. Another small market team and a reliever that was available for cheap is uh, Luke Gregerson in Houston. He's, you know, he is, this is a situation that I don't know that I have a lot of confidence that Gregerson is going to hold this job all year long. What what do you think? Am I completely out of my mind? I'm just waiting for Gregerson to have a few blow-ups. You know, I, I just don't know that the Astros want to go to Pat Neshack. So I think Gregerson's got a little bit of a leash. But it is a case where Gregerson's best years passed. He was a better reliever uh, back in his days with the Padres. He was lights out. He never got the chance to close. But that was when he was at his best. Um, this year the strikeout rate's up a little bit, and he's looking a little bit more like he did uh, back then. But you're right. I I think he's kind of a an average to slightly above average reliever who just happens to be in the closer role. I just don't think the Astros really want to go to Pat Neshek. Yeah, and Neshek is most closers, and, and I know I talked about this in my uh, relief pitcher article a couple months back, most closers are they are conventional delivery. They're right-handed. You don't see a lot of soft tossing, uh, you know, un- side armor, underhander relievers. We've seen a few, a couple of great ones, Kent DeColvey and Dan Quisenberry, just to name two. 
but by and large, you see the guys out there throwing 94, 95 in, in what a conventional motion. Uh, Nishek does throw pretty hard, but yeah, I think you're right. I, and Chad Qualls now is on the DL, and he's really the only other one with uh, closing experience there. So, but I just uh, Gregerson doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. But now a guy that does inspire a lot of confidence is Houston Street in Los Angeles, and he has been really good this year. And he, I was getting him cheap in, in drafts this year, and I could not figure out why. Maybe it was because he had a real high strand rate last year, a real low BABIP, and everybody was buying into those um, those sabermetric stats. But he's been outstanding this year, and you know, I nothing nothing really bad for me to say about Houston Street. Doug, what about you? You know, I think you got him cheap because in his career he's been a little bit injury prone, and you you usually have to deal with a couple of DL stats, but it is kind of pulled an Ian Kinsler on us where all of a sudden late in his career he's uh, getting a little more reliable, and he's still got the same type of stuff. So yeah, it's he's boring. The strikeouts are good. Not, I mean, they're above one per inning, so they're pretty good. They're not great. They're not Araldus Chapman. He's got great control, and he just does the job. The Angels, for being you know in a larger market out there, they don't really get a lot of talk in baseball other than Mike yeah. Trout. People kind of you know they're just kind of quietly doing their thing out there, and uh, nobody's paying attention to Houston Street. Yeah. Now in in Oakland, uh, also kind of below the radar, you have Tyler Clippert, who has been fine. Uh, he's been kind of mentioned in some trade rumors as well. Uh, now, but sitting behind Tyler Clippert because. Sean Doolittle, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that we're going to see Sean Doolittle again this year. Could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I think if we do see him, it's going to be pretty briefly late in the year. But behind Tyler Clipper, Doug, is Edward Mujica. He, remember, <laughs> he was DFA'd by the Red Sox, and now all of a sudden, boom, he's back in a setup role in Oakland. So I guess you just never know. If Clipper were to depart, uh, a guy, Doug, and I know you like Drew Pomeranz a lot at the beginning of the season. I, I think this is a, a young man that could potentially move into the closer role there if Clippert is dealt. I, he, you know, I think Pomeranz are starting to doubt whether he's got the durability to be a starting pitcher. So I think it's time to kind of look that direction. And he does have, you know, if he can come into a game and not worry about saving himself – and just come in and bring the fastball and the other pitches he has, you know, maybe that is his niche that he finds success in. The talent's there. You know, at one point, the the A's had a, a lot of guys ready to step in, you know, but a lot of them have just went by the wayside with injuries. So right now, you know, Pomeranz might be next in line. Yeah. Now, He's not just a loogie, sorry. Of we start. Yeah, not just a loogie. We started out the beginning of the year in Texas, of course, with Nathalie Feliz, who has been an elite closer in the past, no question about it. Didn't get it done this year. Uh, is now still on the disabled list. Sean Tollison has been quite good. Whether he will be moved at the deadline, I would not think so. Uh, Texas still kind of being in the thick of things. I, I and I don't know that I would see Texas, although I guess – they could be buyers, but as good as Tollison has been, Doug, why would they want to be? <laughs> you know, I, it, I've i never seen a bullpen where along came these pitchers that are fighting for the closing role that 
I'd never heard of pretty much before the year. You know, Sean Tolleson, you know, I, I knew the name. I, I can't say I ever heard of, I didn't even know how to say it, Keone Kayla? Keone Kayla. Their, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, of course, I'm tainted because I saw Tanner Shepherds in the Arizona Fall League and throwing 100 miles an hour with all that stuff. So I'm thinking, you know, well, Shepherds can get up there, but right now there's no need to. Uh, sorry, I was distracted there. We just had a major web gem on the uh, ESPN uh, Sunday Night Baseball. <laughs> and, I didn't even uh, check who's uh, playing. Was just, uh, it was going to be uh, Baltimore and Cleveland, and currently Baltimore is up uh, eight zip. And uh, yeah, we just had a uh, absolute web gem. But, uh, oh well, um, Seattle. Our our old friend Fernando Rodney, Doug. What th- this is a situation that. It's really hard to know what to make of it. Carson Smith has been outstanding, but Lloyd McClendon just seems to be he, – he, he's been steadfast by Fernando Rodney. And I really do think that you're going to see Fernando Rodney back in the closer's role before long. He came back in to, uh, to pitch the ninth inning um, on the 26th of June. And Smith was pitching in the eighth. So it seems like McClendon is trying to work Rodney back into the role again. Uh, the, the status has been changed to a committee on our uh, on our chart. Uh, but what, what do we make of this? Is there anything we can make of the situation in Seattle? Well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bail too quick on Carson Smith. I had read that when Smith came on in the eighth inning, that that was the heart of the lineup. The toughest hitters were in the eighth inning. So McClendon yep. went to him at that point and, uh, you know, let Rodney handle the ninth inning because he's got the experience. So I don't know that he went back to Rodney for the closer role, but I think he just wants to use the best pitcher at the most important point of the game, which is actually, a, you know, pretty smart and what a lot of managers have tried to do. The committee thing never seems to work out right, though. Right. So I feel I still think Carson Smith is the guy, but you're right. If, if you know, Rodney's going to probably steal Vulture a few saves just because he's got that, you know, veteran presence in the ninth inning they talk about. Right. And again, don't drop Carson Smith because Carson Smith is a guy that can help you even if he is not closing. So don't don't go dropping Carson Smith. Now a guy we're going to go over to the National League now, Doug, and, and a guy that you might want to think about picking up is I think Atlanta. You got one of two things going to happen here. I think Atlanta is either going to be a seller at the deadline and they're going to trade Jason Grilly, or Jason Grilly is going to go back to being the Jason Grilly that we saw two seasons ago rather than the Jason Grilly we saw four seasons ago. And sitting behind him is Jim Johnson, who has been really, really good. And I believe by the end of the year and maybe in the next month or so, you're going to see Jim Johnson in the ninth inning in Atlanta. What do you think? I, I you know, I think there's a very good chance of it. Grilly started out the year so well, and then he had a rough stretch. He's bounced back a little bit lately. Um, the strikeout rate is great. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's got the walks to a reasonable level at 3.14 per nine. So I don't – the thing is, I don't know if I trust Jim Johnson either. He He's – over the last couple of years, he's some pretty bad numbers. And he he never was a traditional closer with great stuff. So I don't know. I, I just want to stick with Grilly as far as, you know, 
if I'm talking fantasy, I like Gurley much better. Johnson's pitching better right now, so but I do think you're right. There could be some change in the guard here, whether through trade or just uh, Gurley showing his streakiness. Yeah, Atlanta has obviously been a major rebuilding process going on since you know pretty much opening day when they traded away Craig Kimbrell. So uh, I, I really think that if they can deal Grilly to someone who is looking for a closer, let's say, you know, Toronto, if they can deal Grilly and get a good return of prospects, I really think that they're going to do that. So Johnson is a guy, if you have the roster space, go ahead and stash him. He's not going to hurt you with, with the ratios and with the strikeouts right now. And if, uh, if Grilly is indeed moved, then you got his, uh, his heir apparent sitting right there already on your roster. Uh, a guy that I don't think is going to move, Doug, is A.J. Ramos in Miami. What, he's having a great season. Pitching behind him, though, is a very intriguing fellow who we talked about in one of the bullpen briefs a couple of weeks back, um, Carter Capps, the hop. If you've not seen Carter Capps' delivery, you really need to check it out. I have never seen anything like it. He jumps forward off the rubber and then throws the pitch. It's not a hop. It, it, it's a hop. It's an honest-to-goodness jump off the rubber. And it looks like he's about 45 feet from home plate when he releases the ball. But um, it, it's it's a fascinating-looking windup. But he has been just silly good. 34 strikeouts in 18 and a third innings. Uh, it, will he be involved in a deal? Hard to say. But I would say that he would probably be first in line if Ramos is either injured or, for whatever reason, is dealt. So give me, give me your thoughts on Miami's situation. Yeah, I don't see them trading anyone and other younger relievers. There's no reason to. They're not, you know, salary concerns for the Marlins. Uh, they're going to keep their their young relievers. But I just I can't believe that that pitching motion is legal for Caps. He's, yeah. he's jumping another, you know, I don't know, two, three feet toward the plate before the real motion starts. It's just amazing to me. And, uh, you know, it, it, I'm watching it right now on uh, MLB.com, yep. and it's, I just can't believe it's legal. And, it, yeah, you need to go watch it. Uh, along with Trevor Bauer's warm-up routine, it's some of the most bizarre yep. stuff I've ever seen in baseball. What, what would you say, eight feet? When he releases the ball, what do you think? It's probably 52 feet from home plate. I, I was ballparking it around eight feet from the rubber when he actually releases the ball. Probably, you know, with with the, the yep. pitching hand in front and everything. Yeah, you know, the hop yep. is another two feet. Look, I'm guessing. Yeah, so you, yep. you know, that's a when you're talking about the velocity that these guys throw at, that's a big difference. Yeah, the ball jumps on you, but. Apparently, when he started doing it in the minor leagues, there was a, uh, I, I believe he got called, a, a ball got called, and they, it went up to the major league uh, rules committee, and they made the ruling that, no, the way he was doing it was legal. So they looked at it pretty much straight away, and uh, I guess they, he had said something that as long as he drags his foot or, you know, there's a certain line he can't go past, but they are perfectly okay with how he's doing it right now. So... Uh, over in New York, uh, of course, Bobby Parnell back from the DL. Uh, Henry Mejia due back from his suspension soon. Uh, but in the meantime, you have Yaris Familia, who has been outstanding. I don't see a, a move coming as far as Mejia coming back into the, the closer's role. I, I don't foresee that. 
whether or not the Mets, the Mets do have a lot of quality relievers. They could potentially move one of them for either a, another bat. Uh, they certainly don't need another starting pitcher, but they could be involved in a deal. So if uh, Mejia, of course, who was a closer for the Mets, and Bobby Parnell is another guy that could potentially be involved in a deal and could move into a, a, a closing situation somewhere, Doug. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you're basically, you'd be betting on them getting somewhere. And I don't see too many contending teams where Parnell or Mejia would jump right to the closer role. But, you know, one of the things people don't think about when you're talking about closers, and one of the things that I like to do in my keeper leagues is I'll go around and look at which closers, you know, contracts are going to be up, who, who's who might inherit the closer role next year that's one of the reasons you want to look at these things if you're in a keeper league is grab a you know get a cheap closer you can probably free agent bid him for two or three bucks and if he's the closer next year you got basically a free closer so that's also one of the reasons you need to pay attention to bullpens speaking of contracts yeah. wasn't it about six wasn't it about six years ago that we started talking about jonathan papelbon getting <laughs> traded <laughs> he's not still like in the phillies is he <laughs> Yeah, he is still on the Phillies. Uh, but th- this is another situation, and, and it was talked about uh, you know, last year. But um, Papelbon absolutely could help a team, and he, of course, carries a huge contract with him. The Phillies uh, are not going to, to, to contend anytime soon. So this is one of the most likely closers to be moved uh, at or before the deadline. And behind him is Ken Giles, who has been – Pretty good again this year. Um, 169 run average. Uh, some issues with command. 32 innings, 38 strikeouts, 13 walks. Leads him to a 125 whip. So do be prepared to deal with that. But if Ken Giles is not rostered in your league, I would suggest that you make sure that you have him on your roster because he's another guy that can help you with strikeouts, help you with ERA, uh, kind of a neutral guy on whip. But... Um, if the day comes that Papelbon is dealt, then it is a virtual certainty, I would say, Doug, that Giles would step into that role, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I'm not even worried about Giles' whip. I mean, most of that came, he was in a little bit of a funk when the year started, and most of that damage came real early. Uh, as of late, he's been as good as any reliever in baseball. So, uh, to me, uh, it, Giles jumps right into the top tier of closers, you know, be, behind the Araldis Chapmans and Kimbrells of the world, but he'll, yep. he'll immediately jump to, north, toward the top. Right. Now, yeah. over in Washington, uh, Drew Storen, absolutely nothing to worry about here in, in my mind. Uh, an interesting guy, David Carpenter, has pitched really well, and he's pitched himself into a high-leverage role as a uh, as a setup guy. But Storen is is solid here. Uh, I, I don't see any anything happening uh, in, in that. Do you, do you Doug? No, I you know Casey Jansen. I thought at, at one point if he could ever get healthy again, and Storen had a few hiccups, maybe there was a possibility. But Storen's safe. You know he's young, he's cheap still. Uh, I don't see the the Nationals going anywhere else. Folks, you're listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host Buck Davidson, along with the Roto Daddy himself, Doug Anderson. We are talking bullpens tonight, looking at some situations that may present some opportunities for fantasy waiver wire pickups, uh, either now or potentially in the uh, as the trade deadline approaches. 
Doug, is there a more complex, muddled <sighs> mess than your Chicago Cubs bullpen? Um, wow, you, you've got really three guys there with Rondon, Pedro Strope, Jason Mott. And now, if, if things weren't bad enough, we're going to put Nick Martinez into that mix. And Neil, sitting in yeah. the minor leagues is Rafael Soriano, who is going to be up apparently right before the All-Star break. Uh, it's been all over the place. With And this is, if there is such a thing as a true committee, I think that this is it. Uh, I, I think Jason Mott right now, for I, I think he has a little bit of the inside track, but if there is anything closer to a true matchup-based bullpen, this is it, isn't it? I'll throw one more on there for you. I saw the other day where John Lester had talked to John Papelbon and said Papelbon would love to pitch in Chicago. So you, oh, you got that kind of talk going on. But to me, it's it's manufactured. Ron Doan has a 2.27 ERA. He hasn't really struggled. Uh, to me, it's just Joe Madden being Joe Madden, and he does some things great, but I think he likes to tinker. And uh, I, I think if you just stick Ron Doan there, he's going to do a nice job. He's not a dominant closer, but, you know, to me, it's just Joe Madden tinkering with things. But you're right. I I don't know where he's going to tinker next. Yeah, the the pitcher that's kind of the third in the hierarchy, I would say, is, is Stroke, because he it's been a while since he was – in to close a game, but Mott and Rondon, it's really kind of a toss up on any given night. So I don't, I don't think it would hurt to own either one of those guys. And if you own either of those guys, don't drop them because as Doug said, it's Joe Madden. So we just, you you never really know what's going on. And so stay with it. Uh, In Cincinnati, Doug, now here's another team that is reckoned to be a seller at the trade deadline, specifically with Aralis Chapman. Um, and, the, of course, Chapman, an elite closer, could help anybody, would step into their closer's role right away. I've heard his name linked with Toronto. Whether or not they could get a decent prospect package over to Cincinnati to, to make that deal, I don't know. But Doug J.J. Hoover is a name that if you are hunting for saves, you absolutely need to know this name, and it wouldn't hurt if you have an extra roster spot Go ahead and roster him because he has not allowed an earned run since July. Or I'm sorry, since April 21st. Now, just for good measure, he gave up four in that game. But <laughs> in 27 and two-thirds innings after that little implosion, he has allowed only 13 hits. Been one of the best relievers in baseball over that time. He looks like the guy that would step in for Chapman. So Hoover is a guy that you probably want to think about rostering because it's looking more and more like Chapman is going to get moved. Do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit amazed that Chapman would get moved, but it would, uh, it would be some big news because Chapman is a dominant force and any team that adds him, you know, basically you kiss the game goodbye when he comes in. Hoover, I don't think is the long-term answer. You know, he had his opportunity last year when Chapman was out to start the year and he was up and down. So I think, Hoover's the guy to get. I don't think he's a long-term answer. I don't think you're going to see him closing in Cincinnati for, you know, the foreseeable future. But, you know, it doesn't take a great pitcher to close. It just takes someone who can handle the role. So if Hoover grabs it then runs with it, then, you know, he's definitely got the, the, the lead right now. Yeah, it can handle the role. Now, a guy who can handle the role, one of the all-time leading saves 
uh, accumulators. Francisco Rodriguez in Milwaukee, another team that is being reckoned as a seller. Now, there is some question, though. If K-Rod is indeed moved, who steps into his position? And there's a couple of candidates, three of them, actually. You've got Will Smith, who is an awesome setup guy, but he's left-handed. So there's a a ding right there. Uh, Jeremy Jeffress throws hard, a lot of strikeouts, some command issues. And Jonathan Broxton, who has been every bit as bad this year as he was good last year. So no clear successor. I would say if you if you had to ask if if I had to give you one, I would say Will Smith would be the guy that would step in just because he has the numbers. But do not count out Jeremy Jeffress. But Doug, what do you think? I, I would put it at better than fifty fifty that uh, that K Rod gets moved before the uh, before the trade deadline. What do you think? Yeah, I think he, he's. He's gone. The Brewers aren't going to be contending, and they need to fill some holes, you know, for the future. So, I I don't know if Will Smith gets that job. Jeffress, at one point, he was a very bright prospect, but uh, you know, I think we know who he is by now. So, it it wouldn't surprise me if just because they don't want to damage confidence of a different pitcher that Broxton got it back. So, but Broxton isn't someone I want to go investing in. So, to me, no. you know, you grab Will Smith because. You're gonna. He's not gonna hurt you, and if he does grab the job, he'll probably do a decent job of it. But I'm really not looking for the backups here, unless I'm just desperate for saves, and it's gonna win me some, you know, major points. Yeah, and Smith's numbers: 36 strikeouts in 27 innings, 133 earned run average, 0.93 WHIP. A guy who can help you in other categories, even if he's not closing games. So. If he's available, especially as the trade deadline starts creeping a little closer, sure, go ahead and add him. Or if you have, you know, a little more faith in Jeffress, he's uh, he's somebody that that could be in line for that as well. But I would, at this point, I would favor Will Smith a little bit over Jeffress, but we'll see. Over in Pittsburgh, a guy we were worried about at the beginning of the year, Mark Melanson, was just terrible. His velocity was down. Oh my. Last I checked, his earn run average was 172. Talk about turning it around. Melanson has flat out done it. So I, I don't I don't see anything really happening in Pittsburgh. I think that they're they're pretty set with uh, Caminero, Hughes, Watson, and uh, Melanson to close it. Uh, Doug, anything there? No, it's it's people overreact so much to bullpen stuff because of the small sample size. The ERAs, you know, you talked about Cody Allen earlier. You know, he he, yep. he had a month where he couldn't get his slider working, you know, early in the year, and he gave up some big innings. But, you know, they're still the same relievers. It's a, it's a small sample size, one bad inning, and it looks like you're having a bad year. So people overreact. The only problem is when major league managers overreact, too. So that's what you have to be careful about. Yeah, exactly, because you go, oh, my goodness me, he's given up such and such and such. I tend to look with relievers. I don't look so much at the ERA. I look at what have they done. If he gave up five earned runs in one game and he hasn't given up anything other than that one game, well, he may have just had a bad day. So the ERA looks like, you know, it's horrible, but he's been out there 19 times. 18 of those times, he gave up zero. The one time he didn't give up zero, he gave up five. So the ERA looks horrible, but you actually have a really, really effective pitcher. So, Always with relief pitchers, look past the ERA, look past the whip, and look and see what they have actually done. 
Uh, in St. Louis, one of the best in the business, Trevor Rosenthal was a little worried about him um, back uh, in the middle of the month. Had some, it was described as tightness. So, oh boy, you know, you see that and you go, oh my goodness. But looks like he's back. Looks like he's fine now. Kevin Segrist was kind of a, a waiver pickup that everybody was looking at, and Segrist is a is a great setup guy who was potentially going to move into the closer's role if Rosenthal had gone on the DL. Uh, something to keep an eye on with the St. Louis bullpen is Jordan Walden. Uh, talking close to the all-star break, he had a, a shoulder strain. This is a guy who has closed in the past, and he'll be uh, he'll be making his way back into that bullpen mix. Will he be a threat to close? Absolutely not, but just a name to watch for, uh, especially if you're, uh, you're chasing holds. Doug, anything to add for the St. Louis pen? No, I just think it's amazing how uh, Rosenthal last year, it seemed like his every inning was an adventure and things weren't pretty. And this year, it's, he's back to being just a total shutdown reliever. It's it's all about sample size, and you just got to trust the talent. All right. Now, into the West we go, and we're going to start in Arizona with one of the more intriguing bullpen situations. Remember, I was talking a little bit earlier about soft-tossing uh, sidearm uh, gimmicky relief <laughs> pitchers. Brad Ziegler certainly qualifies. He he throws that, that underhand motion. He does not throw hard, but he gets outs. And he is currently in the closer's role. But you kind of get the feeling watching the situation that Arizona would kind of prefer to use him in a setup role. But no one has really stepped up. Addison Reed was – he was the closer at the beginning of the year, but I remember Doug at the beginning of the year. I was, uh, it was just after the start of the year, and they were talking about they were he had changed his delivery or something. <laughs> and and when you see that he's changed his delivery or changed his motion, that okay, that would be a red flag. And it's it, you see something like it, and you go, oh boy, it's you know, it's just maybe just a matter of time. And sure enough, uh, the 22nd of June, he was sent to the minors. So uh, you've got Brad Ziegler sitting there, but now behind him, Doug, is a guy I find really intriguing, uh, Daniel Hudson. What, uh, what what do you think here? Converted starter, obviously some good stuff, and I, I, I think if if you want if you're speculating for saves, I think Hudson would be a good uh, roll of the dice if you have the roster space. Well, I think so. I, I, Hudson, I always loved him as a starter, and after a couple of Tommy Johns, you know, I, I think they've kind of accepted the fact that he's probably not a starting pitcher, not going to hold up. Uh, you know, I think he's got the talent if he can, if his arm can go, you know, day to day in the bullpen. Um, at one point I thought David Hernandez was going to be the future closer in Arizona too. Uh, I don't know if he's bounced back from injuries or not, but right now, you know, why get rid of Ziegler who just does the job? Yep. Yeah. He just goes out there and, and gets people out. So, yeah, you're not going to get the big strikeout numbers, but he goes out and he gets outs. So there's something to be said for that. Now, in Colorado, boy, who would have thought at the beginning of the year in, in the heading of don't pay for closers that we would be talking about John Axford and he would actually have his first blown save of the season on the 24th of June. <laughs> After what we saw Axford go through the last couple seasons, he has been outstanding uh, 15 saves, I believe, now. Uh, something that's interesting in Colorado, though, Doug, uh, I think that it's possible that they could be sellers. I mean, obviously, Axford could help 
a team looking for a ninth inning guy. Would not be a Rolvis Chapman, of course, but he's done very well this year. Just off the disabled list on the 26th of June is Rafael Betancourt. Yeah, he's getting up there in years, but yeah, he's also been an effective closer in the past. Do you think it's possible, Doug, that Colorado could move Axford before the break or before the uh, trade deadline? I think it's very possible. Teams are always looking for veteran, you know, relievers, and I don't see many teams who would use Axford as the closer, with the exception of maybe Toronto. But yep. yeah, they everybody likes a veteran reliever, and in that case, Bencourt was very good early in the year this year. He came back from it until he went on, you know, had some issues. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Bettencourt gets a little bit of the job to kind of close out his career. So I think that's one situation. I don't want to deal with the closing situation in Colorado, just because no. it's you know none of those guys inspire confidence in me. So I'm staying away. But yeah, I could see Bettencourt grabbing some saves at the end of the season. Yeah, so that's a name you know. You watch for Axford. If Axford is indeed moved, I would say Bettencourt. Boone Logan is kind of the setup guy there, but again, a lefty. I would say Betancourt would probably be the guy that would get the job if Axford uh, were moved. Is he worth a roster ad at this point? I don't think so. But just be aware that if Axford's moved, Betancourt is probably the guy that would be sitting right behind him. Uh, in L.A., Doug, Kenley Jansen, he's back to being his old self again. Just uh, He just lights out, shutting everything down. Uh, Joel Peralta, one of the setup guys, along with Yumi Garcia, I don't see any movement there at the trade deadline. I think that's a rock-solid situation. Would you agree? Yeah, I, those those two guys, yeah. there's just no reason to worry about it. All right. Uh, in San Diego, Craig Kimbrell, Joaquin Benoit, Brandon Maurer, kind of the same thing. Uh, very solid. Uh, Kevin Quackenbush also back in the picture there. Solid bullpen. I don't see any potential for very much to happen there before the deadline, do you? No, I think the only thing you're looking for in San Diego is you mentioned Quackenbush. Um, you know, it, if you have if you have a league that, league that counts holds, Quackenbush is a decent ad. He's going to probably find his way in that late inning mix. Mar is a good, proven to be a good reliever, a, a, another failed starter who finds a home in the bullpen. But it's a good bullpen. Kimbrell is signed for three or four more years, so there's no you know no digging for next year's closer here either. Nope. Uh, now, in San Francisco, just to wrap it up, uh, nobody seems to mention the name Santiago Casilla when we start talking about He's kind of like the Glenn Perkins of the National League. And he just keeps rolling along, just keeps racking up saves. The numbers look good. And Sergio Romo has not been particularly great this year. So but what, what do you think? Why does Casilla never seem like he gets his due? Well, I think some people are still, you know, they still see Romo in the bullpen and they're worried. And Romo started out the year like the old Sergio Romo, but now, you know, the ERA is over four. And it it looks to me like the uh, situation is pretty nailed down right now. And, you know, you, there's really no, you can't point to anything with Casilla. He's got the good strikeouts, his command, you know, he walks a few too many hitters. But I think he's safe right now. And you can probably trade for him cheaper than a lot of other closers with similar numbers. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up. That is our look at the Major League bullpen situations, and hope you maybe picked up a little something from it. And uh, it's uh, it, it's something that's worth watching, and pretty much on a daily basis. So 
stay, you know, bookmark the uh, the closer depth charts at uh, at socalledfantasyexperts.com. It's uh, it's something, as I say, I, I take a great deal of pride in trying to stay as current as possible with it. So if uh, if some type of news is breaking, we will do our very best to reflect it in there to uh, maybe give you the jump on the competition. Doug, anything else to add this week? Well, I you know I think looking for closers at this point in the season, the standings they're not set in stone, but they're starting to take shape. Um, one of the easier ways to gain points in the standings is by adding a closer. So just know that. If you're behind in, in in saves and you you know you have the same number of relievers as them, then you can gain points rather easily. But if you're behind because you just have a less closer and you add a, add another closer, then you're just you know you need to add two closers sometimes to gain ground. So take that into account. Be looking for future closers. And uh, as far as so-called fantasy experts go, you know normally I'm a baseball guy until about three weeks before my football fantasy football drafts. I tell you what, we got so much football content coming already that I, I'm ready to draft right now. Yeah, we got a, we actually got a mock draft going on right now. It's um, at uh, at so-called fantasy experts, and it's been kind of interesting looking at the uh, the potential breakouts for this year and saying, "Oh wow, look at that! Look at that! Look at that!" So it's it's kind of almost getting into the into the football mode already. Doug, how can how can people stay uh, stay in touch with you? Give us contact information. Well, of course, at Roto Daddy on Twitter, and I'm I'm on there pretty consistently, at least during the baseball season. So that there, and you can, of course, also if you have uh, questions to do with fantasy baseball, you can also go to our tools menu at the top. Go to Fantasy Baseball, and we've got the Fantasy Baseball email advice, which is all free. So, uh, you know, you can contact us through there if you've got a Fantasy Baseball. Uh, you know, I don't like to call it a question because, like, you're, we're going to tell you the answer, but it's a way to bounce bounce your thoughts yeah. off us, and we'll give you an opinion, and it's your team. You don't like what we say. Do what you want, but, you know, we'll give you some good analysis and hopefully uh, point you in the right direction. Yep, absolutely. And folks, if you want to stay in touch with me at Twitter, it is at Buck Davidson, B-U-C-K-D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N, or look me up on Facebook. Well, folks, that will just about do it for this week's episode of the Sunday Night Sandlot. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to see you again next week. Until then, for Doug Anderson, this is your host, Buck Davidson, saying somebody start the team bus and cue the post-game show. This one's in the history books. We'll see you next week, everybody.